Welcome to Chew the Fat with Dan and Matt. This is your fortnightly podcast where we look at everything in pop culture, some awesome science, we go round the grounds in sport, throw in a true story or two, have a good laugh and look out for a wicked quiz. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Chew the Fat with Dan and Matt. Thanks for joining us. On tonight's episode, we're going to kick it off with They Said What, with a few shout-outs as always, where we look back at the episodes gone by. In pop culture... The claws are out this week as Martz and I delve into a couple of iconic characters from movies and comics, both with claws. I wonder if you can guess who those two are. In Wild Kingdom, I'm going to look at the orca, fascinating marine mammal. Martz finishes it off with his wicked quiz, Know Your Bro. Brothers in Hollywood, he's going to try to stump me on that one. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Let's get into it. We're back, and it's episode six. Bro, how are you feeling? What's happening? I'm great, Dan. Great to be back so stoked look i just uh went out with claudia and uh, henry on the boat launched it took it for the run finally it's all working you know we didn't conk out steering works pretty exciting fanging around out there so looking forward to a bit of a run of it just need to get licensed and i'm away so yeah we went down there the boat ramp it's always a trauma with everyone standing there watching you as you try to launch and unlaunch that's uh, right up there with backing your caravan into the caravan park, isn't it? The boat ramp. For me, anyway, anxiety central. Waiting for a barber without a number and making sure it's your turn next. It always stresses me out. But also, uh, yeah, the boat ramp. When I used to have a little Joro, yeah, it used to stress me out. So your steering, you did yourself. Did that work? I can't believe I deal with like this really stiff clunky steering for so long now it's amazingly good looked on google henry and i and worked it out went ordered the part dream boat good thing no it's called santa's cruise that's our boat oh nice one is that the skateboard brand gonna take on santa cruise yeah Very i used to nice. call his he used to say santa's cruise instead of santa cruise so. so did you rename the boat or did it not have a name no i never had a name bad luck the boat bro yeah, that's what I thought. I was going to say, you can't do that. You've just nailed it for the first time. Nice one. And mm-hmm. you put in some lawn I saw, bro. Very nice. Was it buffalo or cooch? Sir Walter, which is a, a form of buffalo. We put in there. It's quite nice. Banjo's dug a hole in the middle of it already. But... <laughs> you bury him in that hole. Yep. He's got no discipline at all, that dog. Yeah, well, we've been quite quiet down here, just uh, winding up at school. The Christmas tree went up today. I think that's a bit early for some people. Some people were disgusted by November trees, but the wife got it out. And, oh, geez, I get so angry. I get really a uh, bit of a uh, bauble Nazi. I have to have the baubles hanging, you know, when they're sort of stuck up and they're not, they're just sitting. Or poor little willow, she just kind of sticks them in there, not even wired to a leaf. So <laughs> I, I redo those all. And I don't like them hanging off the bottom. Very particular. So, yeah, I had to walk away to this uh, year. I had to just walk away. Yeah, I think there's a bit of art Christmas trees. And, they, and we've done away with tinsel. No tinsel anymore, apparently. No, no tinsel. Yeah, and then you've got to have them kind of evenly spread colours as well, don't you? Yeah. And I think like a thousand baubles. Anyway, so we're approaching Christmas 2020 and the borders have reopened. We've got a big episode number six. So should we get into it, bro? Yeah, let's do it. Let's kick it off with... They say what? Bull. All right. 
they said what I love this. Everyone loves it, I'm pretty sure. Nearly as much as a quiz. Okay, got to say that having Olivia, our sister, my little sister, your big sister, on now is fantastic. Right, we've got to have more guest stars. I don't know what, who we can have. Maybe one of our six sisters. Or, I don't know. Have you got any ideas for another guest? Did we work out that we don't have six sisters or we did in the end? I think it was yeah. four. That's yeah, right. four, that's it. Four sisters. Uh, yeah, definitely. It's quite hard editing because uh, we all spoke over the top of each other and that just doesn't work on podcasting. But I loved having Lily. Yeah, I never get a chance to thank her. She's been such a rock for me. So a big shout out to Olivia. She's was there for me when I had uh, basically no home, no prospects. Uh, she'd just got married to Jamie and I lived out the back of her house in a little granny flat for God knows how long. A uh, couple of summers, maybe, maybe one summer. But she put up with me through uh, thick and thin. Love you, Olivia, and thank you for everything you've done for me over the years. It was really good to have you on the show. You're hilarious. You were the perfect person to come in for that segment. Yeah, I've yep. got a, I looked back into it, and you know, after listening, I thought, yeah, I think there must be some annoying women on TV somewhere. And so I looked back at it, and I actually came up with some. So do you mind if I quickly run through them? No, I've got one to add after you, actually. Yep, go for it, but not a woman. Well, these are women on this list because I think we have to be equal opportunity bagging going on here, right? So Equal opportunity to be a dickwit. First one I've got is the star of Murder, She Wrote. Do you remember this show, She Wrote? Absolutely. This show has the idea that this stupid old woman, wherever she goes, someone dies and she just like busybodies her way into solving the murder. She wasn't a cop. She wasn't a detective. She's just stupid woman and uh i think if she came anywhere near my house you'd go whoa here she comes the freaking angela lansbury someone's gonna die let's shut her out get out of my house get away angela lansbury you're a joke so i've got her as number one and then i'm gonna give you a voice like mr sheffield to give me the nanny freaking, freaking the nanny my god Fran Drishner jeez how did they have a show like that with a just annoying woman sorry women some of you are good this one bad now the third one Golden Girls can you believe there's a show about three old women I mean choose any of those women all three or four women on there except the really old lady I thought she was actually quite good but... yeah she's got a cult following that one B. Arthur oh jeez now, hang on, was B. Arthur a man or a woman? That's There's a lot of conjecture over that one. Yeah, she had a deep voice. She could have had one testicle for sure. <laughs> now, then I've got Angel from Home and Away. This this girl was on Home and Away, Australian talent, Melissa George, right? Then she goes and gets a bit more famous, goes to Hollywood. Absolute flop. It was like, uh, oh, Home and Away, why do you have to keep bringing that up? That's so embarrassing. You know, like, Grace, your roots, girl. You started somewhere. You know, she just gets chucks a spack every time someone brings up here on home in a way. So, Melissa George, you're on my list as a flog. Okay, and the last one, Roseanne. You know the bad American woman? She's just an annoying winger woman. National anthem of America, you know? She sang that version of it. It was like the worst version you've ever heard in your life. Like, I'm of the brave and the land of free. Roseanne, you're a disgrace. There's my five. I've got an honourable mention as well. Irene from Home and Away. You remember Irene? She's, a, she's also useless. So. Yeah, she was on that show. She was on Home and Away for as long as old Alf. Going the freaking crows. Okay, so there are some women out there who are bad as well, Olivia. 
you need to do more research. Okay. So, Dan, have you got one, did you say? Heezy. Heezy. He used to sit at a bar at Melbourne. He's, I know he doesn't drink now, but he used to be just the biggest prick on earth, be really angry at everyone. And Dave, uh, Dave Hughes. Yeah, Dave Hughes. Dave Hughes. I don't mind him as a comic person, but that story put me off him a bit. Uh, Lutzi, my friend Ben Lutz, said uh, he was a bit of a dick. Shout out to Lutzi. I kind of didn't put this person in because I, I just assumed one of you two would have him, and that's Eddie Maguire. I mean, Eddie's fat head is all over television like uh, Pixels, and he and his two little sons always in the freaking crowd looking like their whole lives depend on Collingwood's success their failures just destroy them, which is great. It's an added bonus when the Eagles beat them. But he's clearly a dickwit. I don't like his uh, melon on my TV, if I can help it. You know, obviously, Eddie, Ed's low-hanging fruit. You know, I considered it. But I also take the point of view that he's the president of the Collingwood Football Club, and he does a pretty good job at being the president. He really, like, throws his life and soul. And if you had a president like that, you know, he, he basically goes into bat you know, to the death every time for Collingwood. It's got to be a good thing. So I, I didn't put Ed in there because I thought, you know, he's uh, he does a good job being the president of the Collingwood Football Club. I've also got to say that um, I'm listening back. You mentioned Daisy Pierce, you know, the uh, boundary rider, female commentator. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, she's got the best commentary about it all. Like she, she actually gives insightful parts about the game and, and how it works and where to stand and, and she... She is really good. That should actually move her into the box or something and like send Dermot yeah. boundary. Yeah, and those other guys often just talk shit and don't know what they're talking about, really. Brian Taylor's struggling for anything to talk about half the time. Good on you, Daisy. Doing well. A friend of mine, Robbo, Mike Robinson, who you, you know the Robinsons well. Shout out to the Robinson family. Mike is a big wrestling fan. He and I used to drunken wrestle at bars uh, regularly, like, smash chairs over the back of each other's heads and stuff. And Mike was always kind of the Mario Mancini to my, you know, Jake the Snake, which means he was better at it than I was because he'd do some fantastic uh, losing performances. You know, I once threw him against a shed at Nick Boardman's grand final party and he put a dent in the shed, hopefully with his hands, but he may have drawn blood that day. Upstairs at the Claremont Hotel, he copped a chair over the back of the head. Just a really technically sound wrestler, Mike. And I saw him the other night and I put him onto a wrestling podcast because I knew he'd like it. He did. But he said that demolition, not the Road Warriors for Axe and Smash. He said they were demolition, not the Road Warriors. Yeah, Axe and Smash were demolition. He and I wouldn't argue right there. Work, Good on you, Robbo. Thanks for picking up that one. That's not often Marts would make a mistake in the uh, squared circle. I saw that you put up on the website the song that I sung so great last episode. It's a good song, really good song. Get on there, people, and listen to it. So we've got a Facebook page now, at Chew the Fat with Dan and Matt. So get on Facebook and uh, have a look at our webpage. We've got a bit of uh, artwork and stuff related to our shows and our articles. And, of course, all the podcasts are on there as well. If you're on Facebook, get on there and like us. Yeah, listen to the song. Puts its lotion on its skin. <laughs> is on there. Or it gets uh, the hose again. Or it gets the hose again. And it's actually really catchy. And we may have uh, have to do a, a segment on those kind of songs. They sound really cool and you dance along to it and you go, hang on, what the hell am I dancing to? This is very dark. Maybe a Mount Rushmore of uh, songs that are pretending to be upbeat, but really quite moody pieces. Yeah. I was uh, thinking as well when you're talking about how the guy had a dungeon in his house. How do you get 
that dungeon pit in your house. Like, can you get that put in as an extension when you're like going to your Dale Alcock homes? You know, I'd like a uh, well down here, thanks, with a, you know, maybe six deep with just bricks all around. You can't crawl up. Yeah, that's extra. Four grand for the uh, torture pit option. Yeah, and soundproof it for me while you're there. Might have noticed because we have a bit of an ongoing shark segment on our uh, podcast, don't we? Just recently, a guy was sadly chomped up by a shark up at um, Broome reading about it. It was the 27th year, years since someone's been killed by a shark at Broome. That guy who was killed 27 years ago, that was a guy called Rick Bisley, and he was working on the Roebuck Bay Pearl Farm where I worked. He, in fact, was killed a couple of weeks before I joined the company. Well, well, actually, I was a shell chipper first, but then when I became a diver, they said, oh, well, and openings happened at the farm, Matt, if you want to have a job there. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. And that the guy got killed by the shark. Like, you've got an opportunity to get into the water. They give me um, a thing called a bailout bottle because of the farming you do underwater. It's all run by um, a compressor with a hose going down to your, your regulator. You know, you don't have a scuba tank. Like a hooker. Yeah, a hooker. That's right, service supplied. They give me this bailout bottle. Here's your bailout bottle. And I was like, what? It's all ripped, like the straps are all chewing off. Oh, yeah, that's Rick's bottle, you know. Whoa. What happened to (laughs) You don't really want to know that, 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 that. Just go and get it. Gee whiz. Yeah, so that was pretty interesting. That uh, that was a bit of history for me. It was 27 years ago that I started there, I guess. It was a tiger shark, wasn't it? I think they found out it was a tiger shark that uh, that Rick got Rick all those years ago, or did they not know? I think it was a bronze whale, actually. I remember what I told me i think that they they hunted down a bunch of sharks it was a yeah because i know that cable beach they were going to do dna testing to find out exactly what it was but i never i never found out which shark which type of shark it was unusual for a great white to be in that warmer waters but you never know tiger or bull shark maybe make us a bronzwaller even a hammerhead yeah. do something for next week to the fact with dan and matt at gmail.com or as i said jump on the facebook page and check it out and that was <gasps> They say what Bull Time to explore Wild Kingdom <laughs> Alright, Wild Kingdom. Quick shout out to Jace before uh, I kick off this uh, segment in Wild Kingdom because he put me onto a really interesting article that I'll mention. Thanks for that, Jay. Jay, a very strong uh, mountain man, strong back. Uh, calves, very broad stance at any chance, uh, connections possibly to the Asian um, underworld of martial arts, but a really uh, staunch follower of the show. So thanks, Jay. I'm quite excited about this one because I've got a lot of respect for these creatures. I'm looking at the killer whale because there's a bit of uh, interesting stuff going on with killer whales at the moment, and there's a lot of interesting stuff in the past as well. One of the best animals on the planet, hands down. Orcanus orca is their Latin name, known as killer whales, wolves of the sea, and blackfish. Alaskan indigenous used to call them blackfish, and they were very spiritual. They can't believe that humans mess with them in uh, captivity. So that's where they got blackfish from. Killer whales, the name, is actually, well, I think we've talked about drunken sailors getting things a bit mixed up quite a few times. Killer whales, they were whale killers. That's, I think, where that name got flipped on its head. It was just whale killers became killer whales. That's, I think, where the name killer whales came from. But, of course, they're not whales, bro. Yeah, I was going to say, like, are they, like, the dolphins or something, dolphin family? Yeah, everyone says porpoise, but they're actually dolphinidae. Cetacea is the order. 
whales and dolphins and porpoise, but the family is Delphinidae, which is definitely dolphins. So they're the largest of the dolphins. They're the largest carnivorous ocean mammal. They're considered one of the world's most powerful and intelligent predators for very good reason. They hunt great whites. There's been a bit of that lately. Great whites have been washing up on the shores of South Africa, ripped open with their livers missing. Great whites are terrified of killer whales. The theory is that they work in a pod and they'll come in and grab a bin each of a great white and basically split it. And then they just take out its liver, which is its richest in protein uh, organ, and leave the rest pretty much. And these poor great whites, yeah, don't really stand a chance against an intelligent pod of killer whales. A bit like Hannibal Lecter of the Sea, like a bit of... Ah, Chianti and the liver. With a bit of liver. They're not very Hannibal Lecterish, as I'll get into in a minute. Yeah, just the noise of killer whales, very highly developed language, it terrifies great whites. So, you know, I think it's been floated as an idea that we should just pump killer whale um, noises and communications into the ocean because it's been known to scare great whites away from areas for like months. So it must be looked at possibly as a deterrent to great whites around beaches and things like that. Whether or not they're hunting great whites for the livers or just to protect their food source, which is generally seals and sea lions, fish, uh, they might just be protecting their food source and killing the sharks just to get them out of their uh, hunting zones. Uh, but it could also be for that rich uh, liver that's always missing when they're attacked by orcas. They have a varied diet, quid, penguins even. They eat sharks. Seals, sea lions, but it's quite interesting. They've got there's two different types. You've got resident killer whales who generally eat the fish, and then you've got transient killer whales who you know travel the world's oceans and they'll take on more of the marine mammals like the sea lions and seals. They're a bit more aggressive, but they inhabit all of the oceans of the world from the equator. Uh, right to the ice caps. So nothing, no place is off limits to killer whales. We've got them in WA, down at Bremer Bay in Albany, down that way. They're um, they're the most widespread animal on the planet after humans. So after us, they're everywhere. But, you know, not in the populations, of course, that we are, unfortunately. they're um, Some of their populations are a little bit uh, endangered. There's an interesting population that's been endangered and they kind of look like they're fighting back. Yeah, they, you kind of get the feeling that they're mainly a southern sea or very northern sea creature, less than a warm water creature, don't you? I know that they were seen at Exmouth chopping up baby whales. I didn't realise they went to the tropics as well, though. Atlantic, around Greece and, and places like that. But yeah, they can go everywhere. They go where the prey is, I suppose. As far as their intelligence goes, you know, they echolocate. Humans hate to think that, well, some humans, that other animals have a developed language that kind of a lot of people think it separates us. But killer whales have got cultures developed to a point where they're genetically different through their language and how they behave, the way they hunt, the way they talk they actually within pods they have the same language and then within a clan it's kind of like might be say an australian talking to a kiwi with a little bit of dialect difference and then between their actual larger communities they speak completely different languages and it'll be like us talking to a chinese person this has been scientifically mm. studied like they between communities we're talking like up to 300 individuals in a community they speak completely different languages 
really highly developed languages. They're culturally specific. So they've developed cultural uh, social groups. Quite amazingly, the female, like it's, it's a female-driven community socially, and they stay with a matriarch for their life. Like even the sons stay with their mum, really close bonds between the mothers and the sons, but all the killer whales and they'll just, they might go off and form their own pods, but they always stick close by. So they're very close knit. And interestingly, they babysit females as they reach maturity, ready to uh, mate, they'll start babysitting calves of other females just to practice and they'll discipline their calves they'll punish them bumping them clearly trying to educate them and discipline them and keep them in line other than humans pilot whales and false killer whales they're the only animals that go through menopause the females all other animals breed right to the end of their life but they don't that's so they can stop producing offspring keep the genetic pool changing but also so they can spend time teaching the grandchildren or even to great grandchildren they educate the matriarch grandmothers really look after the pods and teach them so quite incredible they stop producing they start producing offspring at 11 to 13 years old and have about four to six babies in a lifetime but then they yeah they completely stop and become grumpy old bad Yeah, but they teach. There's serious hunting that they they breach on shore, grab seals and work in teams. They fling animals to stun them. Just incredible uh, different hunting strategies they've got. Yeah, just their teamwork. Their teamwork's amazing. I'll talk about captive orcas in a little bit, unfortunately. They were being chased. You know, they were trying to grab a calf for SeaWorld, young orcas for SeaWorld. They were using dynamite, boats and loud noises, and they were trying to scare them and herd them into an area where they couldn't get out. The Orcas knew what was going on. They knew they were being chased. It happened before and they were going to steal their babies. So the, the main pod went one way and then the mum, the mother, took the calves off down another channel completely planned deception and they would have got away with it but the hunters had aeroplanes, spotter planes, so they eventually had to come up to breathe and unfortunately they got them. Uh, and I'll talk about that in a minute but that's how clever they are. They've got the second largest brain of marine mammals. The sperm whale is the only larger, and it's four times bigger than the human brain. And there's every indication that they are more advanced and more intelligent than us. They've got a part of the brain that's socially developed that we don't have. There's no aggression. There's no violence within killer whales, even the males in the wild. There's just none. Um, They've never been known to attack a human being. Their social structures are just all about teamwork, cooperation, coordination, communication, trust, acceptance. They stay together for life and within their own communities, they just are incredibly social animals. I think we could learn a lot from killer whales. We've become quite undeveloped in that regard where killer whales seem to have developed a real sense of belonging in a community and doing whatever it takes for the pod and respecting each other. And they travel up to 160 kilometers a day. They travel a fair way and they can go to depths of 300 meters. They'll actually share their food with their young, but they're endangered, of course, by humans. They're apex predators. There's no natural predator to the orca. It's just humans. And often they'll be poached, uh, struck by vessels, oil spills, pollution, nets. And the British Columbian orcas are the most contaminated. They've only got 73 members as of 2019. As I said, like communities of orcas can be up to 300. So 73 members only that are remaining in the uh, British Columbian community. I was wondering why you're talking about that, like about sperm whales. You know, I know you're doing killer whales, but real whales, sperm whales, are they like carnivorous? Because... I used to have a sperm whale tooth and surely that sperm whale didn't eat um, plankton with that tooth because it was like about dirty 
centimeters long. I, I thought they tried to squid. Yep, that's correct. Uncle Eric, what is that Uncle Eric's legacy? <laughs> that's been a while too. They eat giant squid. Yep, that's right. That'd be the biggest carnivorous mammal. Oh, yeah. What did I say? Second largest? You're right. They're not the, the largest carnivorous mammal. Pick up, bro. Yep. I think that Uncle Eric was related to Grandma Brown, who we have to mention every episode. Okay, so you're getting the idea. They're pretty amazing animals. They, they're peaceful, community-loving, and people don't go to SeaWorld, please, and, and, and view orcas in captivity. There's still 60 orcas in captivity as we speak. Now, what happens to orcas in captivity? You know the dorsal fin? You, you would, or everyone would have seen that. The dorsal fin droops over. When males are approaching maturity, which happens at 12 to 14 years old, they, it's called sprouting. The dorsal fin just elongates and becomes really powerful and big and, you know, it's a, a ready-to-go male. In captivity, they flop over. Scientists say it's due to the diet or the fact that they just don't have roaming abilities, but it's probably more emotional than that. It's like they go flaccid. Now, in captivity... SeaWorld will tell you, oh, yes, uh, and they used to do this to guests. They used to say that, yeah, males live to about 15 to 17 years old. Females live to about 29 years old. Absolute bullshit. Females live to almost 100 years old. They live to like 80, 80 years old. Males well into their 50s in the wild. But in captivity, yeah, that's right. 29-year-old average for a female and 17-year-old years old for a male and that's um, probably uh 17 years of hell really isn't it like 17 slash 29 years they're not good years for the poor creature this is what happened to tillicum who's a famous he killed three trainers at sea sea land and then i think it was called sea land sea and then sea world at two years old he was trapped like i was saying before um this boatload of people captured him near iceland in 1983 he's two years old Torn from his mother from his ocean home and sent to a rundown marine park called Sealand of the Pacific. Food was withheld from him so he would learn. That's how they tried to train him, punished him with food, withholding of food. Yeah. And then they chucked him in with two dominant females who attacked him. And then at night, they'd lock him up in a black box, basically, with no sensation of anything, completely pitch black. He would be in that thing raked by these females like that's raking is where they bite you they'll scrape their teeth down your back never see that in the wild you never see raking of killer whales by other killer whales but he he got tormented by these females who didn't particularly like him he was a really big killer whale um they used to beat up on him regularly his mother you know his family was screaming as he got loaded into the boat you can see that actual footage on a um, documentary called blackfish 2013 documentary he was called Shamu. That was his stage name, but his real name was Tillicum. Surprise, surprise, he killed three trainers. And the way he killed them is quite phenomenal, and it shows a really uh, high intelligence as well. The first one he, he disposed of was this unlucky fella, a bit stupid really, Daniel Jukes in 1999, broke into Sealand and uh, went for a skinny dip in Tillicum's sleep tank, which Tillicum didn't like. Tillicum crushed him against the wall. In the morning, they came in. Uh, just check on him, and he, he was swimming around with uh, Dan Duke on his back, naked. He'd stripped him, and he had him on his back, just parading him around, swimming with him on his back. Then in uh, 1991, sorry, so that was 1999, Daniel Dukes died. So he, he'd actually, that was the second time he killed. In 1991 at Sealand, he killed um, a trainer called Kelty Byrne. Uh, he dragged her to her death, basically. 
dragged her to the bottom and drowned her. And then he and the other killer whales like stripped her, stripped her naked, which is you know pretty bizarre behaviour. We were like talking clothes, about apparently they just. Want those humans to be naked? They don't want. Don't like the uh, wetsuits. Yeah, and Daniel Jukes's um, genitals were removed as well. They he took him bit his uh, genitals off. The most famous one was in 2010. So you know, SeaWorld buys Tilikum off Sealand because they closed down because of this. This wasn't going well. Um, so SeaWorld and Sealand would just spout all this rubbish, and it kind of came to a head in in 2010. This really well respected female uh, trainer, Dawn Branchow or Brancho, was killed. She got dragged by like during a show. People are having lunch and watching, and Tilikum grabbed her by a ponytail and dragged her underwater. 45 minutes later, they got her back, but she was she was drowned, sadly. She was, like, really well-respected, treated the killer whales with utmost respect, and the safety was all there for her. She did nothing wrong. So when she died, they all just thought, oh, if, she, if they're going to kill her, any one of us could go. Yeah, that was pretty horrible. She uh, had she was drowned, but she had a severed spinal cord, fractured jawbone, fractured ribs. Her left elbow and knee was dislocated. She lost her left arm completely. Tilikum ate it. And her scalp was torn from her head. Jesus. Yeah. He did a number on her. Did a massive, yeah, an absolute number on her. And to me, it reflects intelligence and tortured soul, basically. This poor killer whale has just been completely tortured. Like you said, bro, at the beginning, it's like, uh, you know, he, he was torn away at two from his family in the wild and just treated with complete contempt by basically rich people trying to get richer running a freak show that they had no idea about no idea about these animals they're not scientists they're trainers and uh, businessmen and women so the fact that they're still 60 in 2019 in uh, captivity to me is disgrace they tried to they tried to blame poor dawn Brancho's death on herself said she did something wrong and that her ponytail distracted the killer whale. They took it to court. I mean, it's just, it's awful. Really, really bad. There are 40 reported incidents involving orcas, like uh, in captivity, that there was 40 before any deaths. There's been dozens of seriously injured trainers, and there's actually been four deaths in custody. Uh, custody and well, captivity, I should call it custody, really. And if you, I mean, just the, the life expectancy of these animals compared captivity versus the wild is enough to shut it all down to me. Like in this day and age, we're keeping intelligent, possibly more intelligent and sophisticated animals than ourselves in freaking circuses performing and, to, you know, it's torturous, completely torturous. To me, this is real, it's something that has to change. Yeah, yeah I agree with you completely. I think that um, we totally have no idea what. They thinking or what what they're like, but it's pretty obvious they they wouldn't like to be put into a concrete tank and uh, be stuck there and forced to do stupid tricks and can do it to a goldfish maybe maybe that's cruel. I was uh, at the aquarium shop on the weekend and they had these little fighting fish in a, in a tank like this big. You know, people can't see my fingers in the podcast, but it's like it's like a uh, Rubik's cube, people. Rubik's cube. Yeah. And there's little, there's like twenty of these fish all in their own little cube. I guess they just stay there the whole time. Yeah, yeah that's like a little less aesthetic sculpture in your house, but it's a living thing. But obviously, fighting fish have nowhere near the, like you say, the complex social behaviour and the understanding of a killer whale. Which, like you say, could we could in years to come, we could realise that they actually 
have a much more complicated mind system than us and it's arrogance by humans, isn't it? And also it's just the money people, the people trying to make cash, isn't it? That's You're saying that it's kind of the trainers and stuff, but trainer, trainers wouldn't own the dolphin. Trainers would just be no, guys no. stuck there and then there's big fat Johnny with his wad of cash that's just going, no, we need the people to come in the door still. Yeah, just keep going. Keep going. It's as yeah. bad as you can imagine. Like the trainers love these animals. Uh, they're doing their best and that they have no say at the end of the day. It's the fat cats that own the orcas. Exactly right. And if you watch that documentary, Blackfish, you'll, you'll see what I mean. It's incredible. It's the staff talking about it, saying how terrible it was. Even the fishermen who went out and caught the orcas, they're just living in torment and realising what they did is basically akin to kidnapping a child and tearing it away from its mother and giving it to people to torture. If you think, an intelligent mammal, what what right have we got to strip that that mammal from its family and put it into a prison? Same as uh, you don't you want to take a chimpanzee from the jungle and send it into space, do you? I mean, you only have to watch no. Planet, Planet of the Apes and see what happens there. Yeah, I know people are going to say, oh, but you probably go and go to the Perth Zoo and watch lions in cages. Well, you know what? I don't. I don't do that anymore. I, I don't believe in it. I think all that sort of thing has to stop. If we're going to be a civilised community of people, and, yeah, you know, where Marx makes a good point. Where does it stop? You know, are we allowed to have fishing tanks? I guess so. But treating the uh, higher mammals and even, like, you know, Martz and I love octopus. We'll get to that in episode eight. But they've all got to be treated with respect. There's intelligence there. If you're going to hunt and eat it, fair enough. But to have it tortured for your own greedy pleasure uh, and profit, no, nah, not in my books. Time for change. And I know people, a lot of people obviously are already out there for years have been campaigning against this sort of thing. Yeah, we're going into some murky areas there, aren't we, with uh, cooking crayfish and uh catching fish and all sorts of stuff, you know. I don't know where the end is. you just got to be humane. I think humaneness is the main key to it. Correct. And a lot of people say, well, the end is veganism. I know if I went to an abattoir and watched um, my steak getting prepared, I'd be pretty horrified. I'm not on my soapbox. I understand my own flaws. I am just, just don't like uh, killer whales being in captivity at all. I think it's going to come back and we'll be highly ashamed. So don't go. Don't go seeing people. That's for sure. If you're in America, uh, Florida, don't go to SeaWorld. Interestingly, in the Atlantic orcas, the Atlantic orcas are a group of orcas who seem to me to be evolving. And of course, you know, mammals, animals evolve. All living things evolve. Why wouldn't orcas be evolving? But in the last six months, there's been 40 reported incidents involving orcas off the coast of Spain and Portugal. And they've got sensationalist uh, headlines like rogue orcas are attacking boats. There's about nine of them in this pod, quite a young pod of orcas, and they're ramming boats for like hours on end. They're, they're targeting boats and they're ramming them. These people are coming out on their boats going, oh, look, we're so lucky. And then they start smashing them and they're like, oh, this isn't as fun as we thought and they're targeting the hull and the rudder and they're spinning these boats 180 degrees and it's happening again and again 40 reported incidents now it gets more interesting i mean it got to the point where the government banned 50 foot or less yachts in a 60 mile stretch of water in the atlantic uh, mostly tourists scientists think it could be from overfishing of the bluefish tuna in the area it's a population of 50 orcas so it's not many. They're dying out, and they reckon it's because of the blue tuna. So maybe they're saying enough's enough. Get out of our ocean fishing tuna. It's post-COVID as well. So maybe 
the orcas really enjoyed the peaceful time without boats in their habitat. And now they're back and they're like, nah, 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 off you go. We liked it without you. But probably the most compelling argument is that it's defense against boat injuries because two of the young males have got serious head injuries scarring on their heads. It looks like from propellers. So it may be that this pot of orcas is taking out propellers just to protect them from future incidents. It's obviously sensationalists and newspapers are saying they're out for revenge, which is very unlikely. Scientists don't believe that, but perhaps they're taking out propellers before propellers can take them out. So evolving mammals, no? Quite possibly a smart group of orcas in the Atlantic have had enough. There's never been a human killed. I've seen, I don't know if you've seen that video of that woman swimming along the beach and a a female and her calves come right up to her. Ginormous they are. She's a little doll compared to them. And they just have a little look. They sniff her fins, even the babies, the calves. They they could easily just grab her and shake her like a rag doll, but they don't. They just have a look and, and respectfully move on. And they've, the amount of encounters I've had with humans is vast and no one's ever been hurt. Uh, we've certainly hurt them. Yeah. They could just fly right up the beach and take someone sunbaking if they wanted, couldn't they? Because they do that in uh, the seals, don't they? Yep. They breach on, onto the the beach and, and get prey. Very intelligent hunters, as I said. That'd be scary what are, at North Cottesloe Beach when you're lying there. And... Well, you know, they've got long memories. Enough's enough. I'm sure they're thinking... Some of them are very tormented by humans, but they don't seem to take it out on us. But why do they attack the props? Like, that that can't be good for their mouths or what? I mean, how do they... If yeah, they all that thing. damaged by a prop, then ramming a prop's not going to... Uh... Some people just think, yes, maybe they do it for fun. It's just like this big toy and they play with it and they've been damaged by doing it. They might be a couple of naughty boys in the pod who, you know, the mum's saying, don't do this, boys. You're being stupid. But they keep playing. It might just be as simple as that. They don't really know. They're Maybe they've got certainly new, new behaviour. Got brain damage from they just. Anyway, that's my take, uh, people, on a on a fantastic animal. Really, one that we need to cherish. Orcanus orca, the killer whale, black fish. Check out the doco if you're in any doubt uh, to any truth I'm telling you here about the, the captivity and the stuff that went on there. It was truly horrific. Six to eight metres, the males, five to seven metres females, up to 2.7 tonnes and almost five and a half tonnes for the male of dolphin. Pretty amazing creatures and we owe it to them to look out for them. And lovely that we've got them here in WA. Yep, I have to watch out for that show. What's the called? Blackfish, you reckon? One of the best documentaries you'll ever see. It's terrifying and hideous as those deaths were and I feel for the family and the people lost there, of course. You can't really expect there to be anything less. And the intelligence with which they were killed just shows how tormented the animal was. Poor Tilikum died of a uh, bacterial infection. Yeah, will be known as the blackfish who uh, kind of went crazy. In 2017, he died, but of no fault of his own. He put up with a lot of torturous behavior. Poor thing. Yeah. Well, I've seen Free Willy, but that doesn't sound quite so intense as a blackfish. We hope you enjoyed Wild Kingdom! Okay, it's time for Pop Culture! I'm excited about this section in pop culture. We're looking at Claude legends of pop culture, really. Now, I've chosen a character who I think's uh, one of the coolest characters, you know, in pop culture. He's uh, a comic book character, naturally. He's a pretty well-known one to most people. 
I've been a fan of comics 40 years or so. There's been, there is many great characters, but one has always resonated with me a bit. I thought he sort of stands above other characters. His powers, his backstory, his conflicted nature. This guy is a really interesting, deep character. I'm talking about the Wolverine. Dun, dun, dun. Real name, James Howlett or Logan or even Patch has been known as some stages. But he was created by Len Wein and drawn by Herb Trump. When he first started out, he had a really weird intro to comics. They basically planned him to be a highly evolved woodland creature. They wanted him to be a wolverine that had evolved into a man. He wasn't a character that he is today. He got reconned back in his, his history, so he's always a man. Not He's never actually... Wolverine, so he just got named Wolverine. So hang on, he evolved from a Wolverine into a man-like, wolf-like creature sort of thing. Like, that like was the original plan. Like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know, like he was actually originally a Wolverine and he somehow got lab-evolved into a, a man-Wolverine slash, but they changed that. They thought that's a bit crap. I was watching this show where they, they're out in the uh, Alaska by themselves, people dropped them there, and they've got Wolverines there. Yeah, they're nothing like wolves. They're like more like a badger. Well, not badgers. Yeah, exactly. Massive claws and quite aggressive, very ballsy animals. So they're always scared of these wolverines. They're not huge, but they're full no. of muscle. No, well, that's wolverine down to a T. He's not big. He's only five foot three. It's really small. His first introduction in comics was in Incredible Hulk 180. And 181, that's 180, he kind of had an appearance right at the end of the comic. And then in 181, he had a full, and it was like a battle royale, that comic. It was a really famous comic. Incredible Hulk was out in the um, Canadian wilderness, and he was fighting Wendigo. I'll go into Wendigo one other day, but he's like a uh, mythical Canadian creature. He's really strong and white, like eats people. So Hulk's fighting Wendigo, and then Wolverine shows up as well. So it's like a three-way battle. Hulk and Wolverine's battle is always pretty epic because Wolverine, he can cut Hulk, but it doesn't really hurt Hulk too much. And then Hulk can't really uh, stop Wolverine either because he's so strong. But I'll get into Wolverine's powers now, but that was his intro. It was pretty pretty epic comic. If you have that comic, Incredible Hulk 180, hold on to it. That's a valuable comic. I never got that one, but I wish I did. Wolverine, he's a, a mutant. So he has an X gene that usually triggers when they're, you know, a teenager sort of, so they have some traumatic event happen to them. His powers include his feral senses, which means he can see in the dark and he has a really strong sense of smell. He can track people from a long way away and he has awesome hearing, kind of like a wild beast. One of his most important powers is his healing factor. He can pretty well recover from any wound at all. He's been pretty well blasted down to his skeleton and growing all his flesh back. You know, his, his healing factor is really, really strong, really impressive. That actually adds, makes his all his other powers kind of link up. He's really old, like he's, he's probably over 100 years old. He fought with Captain America in the war before Captain America went in the ice. You know, he was in the same battalion as Captain America. Did he have natural, any of these powers natural? Yeah, this is all, if, if you're a mutant, you're born with these powers was the thing that Stan Lee, he got sick of trying to come up with how people got their powers. Like Spider-Man got bit by a spider. Fantastic Four got Radiated. cosmic rays in space. You know, Hulk got gamma rays. He just went, oh, God, how am I going to come up with any more? And then he just went, oh, let's just say that they got they're born with them. You know, X-Men were born with humans. Because I know he was modified. He only was modified because he could heal because of his healing powers. Isn't that right? That's correct. Yes. Yeah, so he actually has 
bone claws that stick out of his hands. Yeah, so he was kind of like a beast, but they're made out of bone. But then the government got hold of him, Weapon X program, they captured him and they laced his bones with adamantium, which is a really super strong metal, probably the strongest metal known to the Marvel Universe. It was a really painful process but, and most people would just die from it. But because he's a healing factor, he could cope with it. So now he's got unbreakable bones, razor sharp claws as well as his healing factor and feral senses. So he's formidable. That's for sure. Super strong. His muscles have to hold these bones, these metal bones, which are really heavy, you know, so he's got the strength. And he can't be broken, can't be killed, basically. He's, he's really ultimate sort of killing machine, Wolverine. You know, he's lived in the forest and stuff, so he knows all hunting techniques and stuff as well. So he's got good skills. And every yeah. time his claws come out, they rip through his skin, don't they? So that's like, would be rather painful. Yeah, he just pops them out and they come out and... Makes that famous snick sound and bursts through his skin. Yeah, it doesn't bother him. Pain, he's got pain. He's probably living in pain his whole life, you know, just going through it. But the X-Men were kind of just, the original X-Men were just these five little preppy school kids, Angel, Beast, Jean Grey, Cyclops, and they're the original X-Men. And then they sort of just weren't that popular. And then these new guys took over, Chris Claremont, and decided that they were going to rebirth the X-Men. And so the, the original X-Men kind of got defeated by this giant mutant and then professor x who formed x-men he, he went out and found new mutants and he found them this time not just like american school kids he found them from all over the world he found colossus from russia he found storm from africa nightcrawler from germany banshee from ireland and uh wolverine from canada and he even had a native american guy called thunderbird who got killed in the first episode unfortunately for him but yeah no australians no, later on, there's a few Australian guys, like uh, Pyro and... Uh, Pyro? That's great. We have a pyromaniac in a place yeah. full of bushfires. Oh, there's Aboriginal guys as well who can swing this little... Oh, yeah, like he opens a portal, doesn't Gateway. He it is called Gateway. Yeah. Yeah. He's pretty powerful, doesn't talk much. No, X-Men lived in Australia for a while. That's pretty cool. We'll get back into that one other day. He just selected these and he said, oh, this Wolverine character is interesting. They go, oh, he got evolved by a... Wolverine got to the human. He said, oh, we'll just we'll forget that. We'll recon it and make him actually into a mutant. You know, it makes more sense. And, and he was actually not going to be a big part of the show, but he ended up being one of the most popular characters, if not the most, in the Marvel Universe. So that comic is a very important comic in the Marvel comic history. The uh, giant-sized X-Men people, check it out. Did he come in as a bad guy or was he a good guy? Misunderstood bad guy, you know, like he was kind of working for other people at that stage. So they're making him do what he did. He must have had to go out there and kill whoever was causing the problem. I can't remember if he was after Wendigo or Hulk. Hell of a throwdown between those three. But yeah, he got captured by Weapon X and they put the Adam Antium into him and it made him go crazy. You know, this thing never ends up doing well when you make a killer crazy mutant. They always turn on you and kill you, don't they? And he did that. He killed the whole complex and then escaped into the forest and he roamed around there for ages and eventually this Canadian mob department H found him and they and sort of calmed him down and then they brought him back and he joined Alpha Flight, which is like the Canadian Avengers but then Professor X came along saying, oh, look, I, I want him to join my uh, new X-Men. So that's when he did. They weren't that keen on losing Wolverine, but Professor X took him and, and then he joined the X-Men. So that was the end of that. Wolverine's got a famous saying. He says, I'm the best at what I do, but what I do isn't very nice. And it's kind of like, you know, his power is stabbing. Basically, he's a stabbing guy. He kills people a lot. One of the things I really love about the character is his conflict. He's really dichotomous is that all dichotomous like got duality to it 
duality. He's got this battle between man and animal, right? He's often just lived with the wolves and just hunted deer and eaten them raw and run around the forest in the nude for ages, and howling and he can smell and eat everything like a beast. So he's got that battle between him trying to be a man and animal and, and Professor X really helped him with that, you know, he kind of like brought the man out in him. He's got the mutant versus human duality, you know, because mutants and humans hate each other names in the Marvel Universe. He's really conflicted about whether he's a mutant or a human. And in recent comics, he's choose totally being a mutant. He's also spent a lot of time in Japan fighting ninjas and I don't know why, why he goes there, but he actually did in that he became like trained up into a, a ninja warrior and they taught him, you know, the nobility of not being a killer. He's just like a roughhouse murderer. And they said, you know, you want to be a, a warrior, not a murderer. So he's got like this code that he lives by now where, you know, he tries not to chop people up into little pieces all the time. And then he's a last duality, really. He's a loner. He doesn't play well with others, but then he loves being on the team. He does anything for his teammates. Did he not? I thought he had a love over in Japan. Was there not a romantic uh, edge to the Japanese saga? That he, yeah. Yeah, he, he, uh, he got married, in fact, his wife, yeah. Her dad was a ninja boss of an underworld kind of thing there, and she, she got killed, basically. And he he disapproved, like, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. Cajun, round-eye, arsehole. So they, uh, you know, she got killed, and then he went a bit berserk. He does that berserker thing quite a lot where he just loses control and he's basically you can't stop it yeah he uh i didn't want to go into that just right then but he uh, basically no matter what you do to him shoot him a hundred times stab him he just keep on coming goes into his berserker mode where he'll just slay basically everything around and if you're even his friend at that stage you want to stay back anyway that's that's basically his dualities that and that weakness is that is a kind of the berserker thing gets used against him sometimes he's also very heavy so he's not a good swimmer you know, like so people throw him in the ocean and he kind of sinks real fast. And it's hard to drown, yeah, right. hard to drown him because he's sort of got the regenerative powers, but if you throw him deep enough, that's probably his real bad weakness. Magneto also has it over him, you know, because he controls his metal, throws him away or screws him up in a ball. Or... So Magneto's kind of really got it over the top of Logan. He smokes and he drinks and he has lots of different girlfriends, lots of wives. He's got kids strewn all over the Marvel Universe. Eight different children. Have any of those been identified mutant at all? A clone girl who's like, she's she's got two claws out of her hands and one out of her foot. She's pretty badass. X-23, she's name is. He's got a son called Dakin. He's kind of bisexual dude with a, he's kind of bad, more of a villain than a good guy. Yeah, he's got other kids as well throughout the place. Yeah, and he's been with women such as Jean Grey and Storm and he's been around, he's been a womanizer. Mystique. He's got this rivalry, the greatest rivalry he has in the comics is with Sabretooth. He has almost the same powers as Wolverine, you know, like healing factor, claws, whole feral senses and stuff. On Wolverine's birthday every every year, Sabretooth rocks up. They just have to fight. For some reason, Sabretooth just does it, calls him to runt and just takes him down and they have a battle. Wolverine's chopped his head off a couple of times, I think. They always come back, you know, somehow. Sabretooth is actually related to him in some way. But he, he, Wolverine's history is really a mystery still. We don't quite know everything about Wolverine. They've revealed a fair bit recently. If you cut his head off, is he he's survived that, has he? Yeah, he cut Sabretooth's head off. Wolverine's head didn't get cut off. But, but yeah, Sabretooth somehow came back. Someone probably cloned him back. Like I say, he's only five foot tall. 
five foot three and he's just super strong and hairy he's a really beasty little man like like that wolverine you're talking about and i think i've told you before that i have a problem with the way he's portrayed in in the movies with hugh jackman i mean credit to hugh he did a pretty good job at portraying that he got he got ripped and he's six foot one or something and he's a uh, cabaret singer I need a little scrapper. I need a stinky little man smoking cigars. And, and did you ever see once Jackman ever like, I can smell something on the wind? No, didn't do any of his feral senses. I just didn't do any of that any justice. Didn't hear anything. He was, he was too much of a, a leader as well. Wolverine's always a rebel. He doesn't ever like doing what Xavier wants him to do. Hopefully, now that Wolverine is now in the... Uh, MCU, the next set of movies. I won't go into that, people. It's complicated, but I've got the rights to all the X-Men now, so all those X-Men movies you've watched, hopefully they're done. And uh, now the MCU with uh, Iron Man and Hulk and all those guys, they're going to have the mutants in there as well. So well, hopefully they'll cast someone a little better, a little more realistic to the comics, which MCU does and whatever. So if... Yeah, I know you, you probably want someone that we haven't seen, but if you had to choose someone that we know of, would it be a De Niro or a Pacino? No, probably not a Pacino, but some who are you thinking could play Wolverine? I get what you mean. Jackman's a bit too clean cut. Like this guy, if he's lived in the forest and, you know, Jackman tries to not be a leader, but that lasts about two seconds as Wolvie. That's not, Got that's anyone not in mind? I think Pacino would have been good like a long time ago. Tom Hardy, he's been, he's been bandied around a bit. I'd probably go an unknown. Yeah, I always say give give a new guy a chance at creating an iconic character. They could leave it for a while. You know, there's a lot of a lot of X Men stuff to do without having to do Wolverine so real fast. They could let it sit for a bit, you know, another five years, bring in some young short guy, bit of hair on him. That'd be good. There's a lot of comics of Wolverine. He's nearly in every comic out of there at the moment yeah he's a deep character one of my favorites yeah nice work bro he certainly got me into marvel when i started i think spider-man and captain america were my original favorite as soon as he came into it very interesting character as you say torn and tortured so we've got the two clawed members of pop culture very different but both tortured souls with a bit of a uh, different past movie's parents was there any any notion of who they were yeah there was a series called um origins and it has a story about a really sick, sickly little boy who's, you know, like in this big mansion. Quite a good story, but, you know, ends up the groundskeeper is a really evil dude, drunken, sort of looked, looked a lot like Sabretooth. And that's why I think there's history in it there. They haven't really revealed that. But he uh, comes in, tries to rape basically this girl who's looking after the sickly boy. The sickly boy suddenly just goes, ah! and his claws pop out, you know, bone claws pop out of his hand, and he just like, ah! and attacks the guy and saves it. I think he actually kills the girl. Doesn't know what's happened to him. He's all got blood on him, and then he has to run off into the forest. He ends up, once his healing factor kicks in, he, he gets super healthy and never sick again. And so was born Wolverine. Schnick it, bro. Schnick it. I'm going to focus on someone who I've mentioned already, so it's no surprise. It's uh, Freddy Krueger. To me, he'd be easily in my top five. Well, the movie, of course, was my top five horror movies of all time, but he would be one of my top five movie characters of all time, horror or not, which we'll have to get to at some stage. Freddy Krueger, Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984. So we're going to have a little look back at this uh, classic nightmarish character. Bro? Thoughts on Freddy? Yeah, I was wondering how, how many movies did they end up being? Like, didn't Freddy fight Jason in the last installment? I'm going to go as far as Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. 
mention that. Anything after that to me is a little bit farcical. Uh, it was kind of made Wes Craven up to five for the original franchise. And then, of course, they, they went a bit stupid with Jason versus Freddy and the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, which was interesting in part with some of the backstory. I'll just touch on the original sort of five movies, mostly the first couple. But yeah, Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors is a good one because it, it gave a lot of backstory to the character. And that's what I'm going to focus on today, the backstory. I know you're interested, bro, in some of his powers and, and kryptonites, his weaknesses and stuff. And so I'll mention a bit of that too. Yeah, I've only uh, seen number one, I'm afraid. One was the best, but I think two and three are worth a look, definitely. And as I say, they give a bit of backstory to it, which is cool. And, you know, you get those characters who you just, there's a lot of effort's gone into the backstory. I think that's the beauty of some of these on screen, you know, the scripts that are developed is that a lot of efforts made to keep the timeline going and to bring in other characters from their backstory. So it builds depth. And I think that's massively important. Um, not just have these shallow characters with no real effort going into where they came from or what happened to them. But Fred Krueger definitely has it. So his mother, Amanda Krueger, was better known by her chosen name, Sister Mary Helena. So she was actually a sister, like a nun. And as a nun, she worked at Hathaway House, which is an asylum for the criminally deranged. Uh, so she was in a loony bin, basically, working as trying to do the right thing as a sister to the criminally insane. But a few days before Christmas in 1941, Freddie's mum was there. She was working. It was a largely abandoned, run-down wing that she worked in of the asylum. It was used to lock up entire hordes of the most insane criminals all at once. Yeah, unfortunately, young Amanda was accidentally locked into the room with the criminals over a holiday weekend uh, leading into Christmas. And they managed to keep her hidden for days, raping her repeatedly. When she was finally discovered, she was barely alive and sadly pregnant. Uh, and the result was Freddie, uh, who was kind of known then as the son of a hundred homicidal maniacs because they couldn't really determine which one of them was the biological father. So you're saying Christmas weekend they say, right, all you psychos, you're allowed to have like a little room just to go running a mucky. Like they didn't get locked in their cells. They just get a little a shared communal area that they're allowed to muck around. I get the feeling without having seen it for myself, that it was, yeah, just the biggest of the nutcases. They kind of left them to their own devices in this rundown, semi-abandoned wing of an asylum. Like the it. nuns are the only ones that care for them, possibly. Well, then, yeah, things didn't get much better for Fred after that. was adopted by an alcoholic named Mr. Underwood, who's actually played by Alice Cooper, of all people. So if you can imagine Alice Cooper, the heavy metal singer and he abused him throughout his childhood but then as a teenager freddie started torturing animals and in, engaged in a bit of self-harm self-mutilation um he murdered the class hamster so that was his first murder i think the class hamster but he yeah he got a kick out of cutting himself with a straight razor and jammed the razor blade in his dad's eye socket not his real dad his adopted father he had enough of the beatings and slammed it right into the eye of his dad in his mid-twenties, Freddie, yeah, he was a family man, married. He was married to a woman named Loretta, who he eventually murdered as well. And he had a daughter called Catherine, who comes back later in Freddie's story. So a bit of a disturbed childhood, really. The bastard son of a hundred maniacs, adopted by an abusive alcoholic father, but then became Springwood Slasher. He, you know, was abducting children and had a little basement where he'd uh, torture them. He killed his wife in front of their daughter. Nice going, Fred. Killed his own wife in front of his own daughter and shortly after was arrested 
for the murder of numerous local children. And his daughter, Catherine, was put into foster care under a new name. So she changed the name and went the way of Freddie into foster care. But thanks to the signature in the wrong place by a drunken judge, uh, Kruger was set free. He was clearly guilty, but the judge stuffed up and Freddie walked. He got away with it, but everyone knew he was guilty. And of course, the locals weren't happy about that. So all the Springwood locals rose up and you know formed like a, a mob. He worked at, as a janitor at the school. They all got together and chased him into a building and burned it to the ground. Thus his misfigured burnt face. That was uh, as a result of being burnt to death. And that's where it gets a little bit science fiction-y. So up to that point, that's, you know, it's a pretty good backstory, isn't it, bro? Based in reality, not completely out of the realms of possibility. Yeah, maybe someone could have appealed the case and said, hell, Judge, you've got it wrong here. Let's have a retrial. So as he died, he was approached by dream demons. Three dream demons approached him, and they basically offered him the chance to be resurrected. He had the ability to manipulate reality, affect unconscious humans in the dream realm. So he could work in the dream realm, but only as long as he was still remembered and feared in the real world. So if you don't fear Freddy, we don't even remember him. He ceases to exist in the dream realm. He could change shape, move objects telepathically, warp the physical manifestations of dreamers. So he could do all that sort of stuff in the dream realm that was given to him that power by dream demons. He was vulnerable. You're talking about his kryptonite. His kryptonite is if he's pulled into the real world. He could only harm Springwood locals who are afraid of him. So if then you're not afraid of him, he can't harm them. So he can actually only harm those who are afraid of him. I think that's in a couple of movies that, that they stand up to him and he, he's got no power against them. But if you can drag him into the real world, he loses his powers and becomes vulnerable, which is what happens in Freddy's Dead, the final nightmare. Spoilers, people. Catherine returns, his daughter, but she's renamed Dr. Maggie Burrows. And she faces Freddy and drags him into the real world by wearing, of all things, 3D glasses and entering his tortured mind. So she puts on these 3D glasses and goes inside his brain and sees all the torment he's been through. But in the real world, she skewers him with his own claws and chucks a pipe bomb in his chest, stabs him with his claws, pipe bomb in the chest, and kisses him and wishes him a happy Father's Day. Then the three dream demons depart, leaving him no longer immortal and vanquished. In between that and when he was burnt to death by the locals, he uh, killed a lot of people inside their dream worlds because he could actually, obviously, physically attack them in their dreams, manipulate things. Frederick Kruger, yeah, he worked as a janitor at Springwood uh, High and wreaked havoc on um, the youngsters in the town. Got off, yeah. and the parents weren't happy and burnt him to death. And then he came back and wreaked revenge on all the parents' kids who'd killed him. Yeah, it's a really good um, backstory, like you said. I, I thought they chucked him into the incinerator for some reason. I know that the, he was like the guy working at school, wasn't he? Like a janitor or something, wasn't he? Yeah, groundskeeper Willie. Yeah, yeah he had like a boiler bad. room. Yeah. I think he lived, I think for some weird reason, he lived at the school and lived in the boiler room at the school and they chased him in there and I can't recall exactly how the burn happened, but he certainly burnt to the ground. Someone, I think, chucked a Molotov cocktail through his window and went up in smoke. Yeah, there was a boiler mentioned, but I think it might have just been he was in a boiler room. That's where mm. he was stoking the fires. A lot of the dream sequences where he killed kids, he was in the boiler room. Yeah, clever, clever backstory. The uh, bastard son of a hundred maniacs, just bad, bad all the way through, killing his wife in front of his daughter. His daughter survived it all, amazingly. Not a nice, nice man, Freddie. 
played by Robert England in the movies. Really good job by Robert England. He does a great, great job. One of my favourite scenes, he's at this party, you know, American teen, tit city high kind of party. And this guy's like, you know, everyone's always terrified of Freddie. And this one guy is obviously studying psychology at uni or something, at college, I don't know. He's like, no, hey, man. Relax. We can help you. We can we can help you through this. And Freddy just goes, "Help yourself, fucker!" and stabs him through the guts and hurls him over the fence. So the first time someone tried to kind of reach Freddy, it was put to a rapid end. With um, is there any backstory behind his awesome claws? You know, those uh, how he come up with uh, those. It's like a glove, isn't it, with uh, blades on it? Yeah, it's like got pop rivets and he's, he constructed him himself. There is a backstory behind that for sure. Uh, Wes Craven was kind of looking for something original because of course Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Leatherface had his chainsaw and uh, Michael Myers has got his butcher's knife so he was looking for something and he thought something primal would be like claws he, he looked at his cat preening its claws and that's where he got the inspiration for it. Uh, I think in the remake it mentions that Freddy May have got the idea from gardening shears. You know, you can get those uh, hand gardening things to do your hedges now. A bit weird. And in the very first movie, the opening scene is really clever little montage of Freddie making his uh, gloves in his little dungeon. I think when he was married to his wife, he had the dungeon and he used it to torture kids. And that's his wife got onto him, realised that what he was doing and threatened to expose him. And that's when he killed her front of the daughter he made the little glove as part of his fun and games again yeah he must have gone to dale alcott and said i need a dungeon as well he likes straight razors yeah straight razors and of course he had his candy apple green and red sweater and robert england isn't the most attractive guy before burning so he's quite a good good face for a a scary dude but he sprang on our screams and provided a lot of screams old freddy do you think that a fight between freddy and wolverine i think wolverine's got freddy cut shreds really because uh you said that that freddy's powers are basically can scare you then uh you know he gets it over you but wolverine's not scared of anything i don't think so wouldn't work on him that would be the problem for freddy i can't imagine freddy would keep wolverine up at night um, worrying about him. If you're not scared of Freddy, he's got no power over you. He'd have to drag him into reality, though, to get to him. But once he did that, it would be pretty short work, I'd say. But who knows? Freddy was a bit of a mental tormentor, so he could have worked on some of uh, Wolvie's uh, histories and tortured soul that he is. He could have maybe got to him. My money on Wolvie. And that was... Pop Culture... It's quiz time! Okay, people, get excited. Take a seat, get yourself a drink and settle in. Know your bro! Are you ready for the Know Your Bro now? Yeah, after last time, last podcast, I, I'm feeling uh, like I do like this segment again. Not as many as... Bring it on, bro. Bring it on. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, hopefully there's a few more. Ah! This time, because it was too easy last time. But looking it down at my list, I think that might have gone soft again. So I'm going to have to dig deep. Okay. So these two brothers, are you ready? These two brothers. Hang, hang on. Is there an overall overarching topic I can sort of draw on here? Or is it just random stuff? No, this is movie brothers again. Oh, okay. You've gone back down the movie road. Beauty. 
Okay, let's hear it. Shame. These two brothers are greedy, rich brothers. Real bastards. They have a total dismissive take on human life. Don't really care about anyone. They just want to make money. Totally ruthless. They start in a, another movie, like a cameo in it. Any idea? Crikey. Uh, I might need a bit more information. I've got to disregard okay. human life. There's a comedy movie. The cameo is in Coming to America. Okay. Are they con men? No, they're stockbrokers. Yeah, they're those old rich guys, aren't they? Filthy rich um, old men. Is that? And they end up on the street? They end up broke and homeless? Is that? Who the hell are those guys? They're brothers, are they? No, nah, I'm not sure who they are. Mortimer and Randolph Duke. The Duke brothers are trading places. Oh, yeah, got you then. That's good. Yeah, Trading Places is a classic. Yeah, Eddie Murphy. He's like just a streetwise dude like he plays. He went and worked Randy and Mortimer, the uh, stockbrokers, and uh, he became like a gun stockbroker, I remember. And wasn't it Dan Aykroyd who got kicked to the street? Oh, he swapped. He traded places with him. Yeah, there was some kind of bet or was it? That's right, yeah. And a bet, yeah. He said, I bet I could get any dude off the street. To replace this guy and he'd just be just as good. That's right, the Duke brothers. And yeah, as you say, no regard for Dan Aykroyd. His life was just over because they had just a little bet. And it was worth something pathetic, like ten bucks or something, yeah. their bet. Yeah, here's that one dollar random. Yeah. Mortimer. Yeah. Yeah, I can picture them. Old fuddy <laughs> I Have to watch that again. That's good. Okay, so these are actually triplets. And it's an ice hockey movie. These guys, three brothers, were hardcore. All three of them had these black-rimmed glasses, really thick glasses, and they played ice hockey and they used to really play hard. Like, and, you know, they'd often sit there, three of them, on the on the bench. Any idea? I'm thinking the movie's Youngblood with, uh, what was that, Heartthrob back in the day? He was one of the Rat Pack. Not the Rat Pack, Rob the Lowe. Rat Pack. Rob Lowe, yeah. Rob Lowe and Patrick Swayze or something, and there was those three, yeah, they were like hitmen with horn-rimmed glasses, the Someone Brothers. Was it that movie, Youngblood? Like, now, Slapshot, the movie was, and they're the Hanson brothers. Not to be confused with the singers, who were also triplets, by the way. No, they weren't. Were they? Are they twins? Hansons, well, they weren't. They're all different ages. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were too. I'm grasping at straws because I'm floundering here. How the hell would I know the Hanson? Slapshot, that's like a B-grade movie at best. I can't believe you built my confidence up saying there were some easy ones. These are impossible. Anyway, hopefully, listeners, you got the Hanson brothers from Slapshot. Next, you'll ask me who played Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's 2. Bernie's still alive, but not. Yeah, Bernie's back, but he's still dead. That's it. That's the tagline. All right. Okay, number three. So zero for two. This is going good. So these two brothers were separated at birth, and there was a secret experiment. They had six dads to make one child. The embryo was split into twins, and one lived in a small town in an orphanage and the other, a big town. He was raised in a big town on an island. So uh, one guy's looking for the other one when they finally realise that they have twins. Got it? You said the name of the movie about three times, Twins. And that would be Danny DeVito and Arnie, Arnold Schwarzenegger, as twins. A ridiculous concept for a movie, but I think it was actually quite funny. Maybe. I don't know. Twins. But you didn't get their real name. Their name's in the show. Oh, God, really? Okay. Um... No way. No, I'm, I'm actually. Julius no, no. and Vincent 
Benedict. So yeah, fail. He, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you points there. That's fine. I heard they're making um, a movie called Triplets, and I think they're going to have like uh, Chris Rock or something like that. It's going to be um, the third triplet. They're going to bring Danny DeVito in. Okay, so you got one. That's good. You're coming back. All right, the next one. Question number four. Now, these two mythological legends are stepbrothers. One is adopted, though, and his dad's a frost giant, and he's a pretty nasty little number. The other is a god of thunder in North mythology. The one who is a frost giant was found after a battle against the frost giant spy to be his stepfather, and he found him in the snow, and he took him back and grew him up as his own kid and always kind of was treated with a bit of contempt by uh, his stepbrother, by, by the rest of the family. Yeah, he always resented it, and he turned out to be a nasty little number. Okay, who do you think? Okay, I'm a big fan of Wind of the Willows, and I know uh, Frog had... No, I'm just kidding. That's got to be Thor and his stepbrother Loki. Correct. Thor and Loki, yep. Thor Odinson. Son of Odin. Odinson, right. Glad you didn't ask for the surnames. Makes sense, though. Son of Odin. All right. Last question. This is decider, so like pass or fail on this one. Two out of four. Okay. These two brothers are Italian and they're tradesmen who work in Brooklyn, New York, and they're actually plumbers. Do you have any idea who they are? That's about as much as I want to give you at this stage. Plumbers. As soon as you just say Brooklyn, it makes me think of um, Wahlberg, Marky Mark Wahlberg. He's always playing Brooklyn people, but plumbers. Italian brothers. Italian brothers. Okay, that's Marky Mark out. He's not Italian. Uh, is it Mario and Luigi? Yes. All right. The Mario brothers, of course. They worked at Mushroom Kingdom in the sewers. And they used to have an animal they rode around on called Yoshi. Good job, bro. That was, uh, you nearly got me there. The Hansons. I think, yeah, they all looked exactly the same, right? They're identical triplets. Yeah, and they loved a bit of blood and just went out there. No one to know which one it was that hit them, so they couldn't really fight back because it was like, was it you or you or you? Yeah. Three hit men on their team. Slapshot. Who was the star of that show? Do you remember? It reeks of Charlie Sheen for some reason. I can't remember. Yeah. There were some good ice hockey movies back in the day before the Mighty Ducks came and ruined everything. That was Quiz Time. All right, Dan, so it's got us to another end of another fantastic episode. But it was nice to see the claws were out again. Our differences and similarities both love pop culture, both love the claws. This episode, yours is more uh, comics and I'm kind of the more movies. Yeah, yeah, it'd be good if we could learn... And we are kind of learning more about each other's areas of expertise, aren't we, you know? Come up with some good comics that I should read. You certainly did as a, when I was younger. You'd flick me some really good comics that I had to read and did and really got into it. Maybe we should each do a review or something on, on each other's favourites. That might be interesting. Yeah, yeah. How about I say choose a comic book for you to read and you can choose a movie for me, your favourite movie, and I'll work out what we like about it, what we don't like about it, give a summary of what it's about. We can see what we think of each other's pleasures. I like it, the old switcheroo. I'll bring something out of my top five movies of all time. Yep. Episode definitely. six, bro, in the can, as they say. Thanks, listeners, for getting behind us. We've got some really good amount of followings going on. And don't forget the Facebook page, the new Facebook page at Chew the Fat with Dan and Matt, if you want to send us any messages. But, yeah, thanks for your support. So we'll see you next time on Chew the Fat with Dan and Matt. We can send you, I told you. Help me in the vibrations of the universe inside of me. 